Well, good afternoon, the H1B guy here. And today, the H1B guy live, December 20th, 2021. Today, I plan to cover USCIS list of accomplishments for 2021, as well as immigration reform that has seemingly failed in 2021. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, and by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. Well. Well, I had my good friend Mark Pavlopoulos on from Syndesis and Path to Canada earlier in the month. Uh, the last live stream I did was actually back on November the 10th. And I wanted to take some time here right before, you know, we get into the swing of holiday season uh, to cover some things. I think that I, I really I just want to put my opinion out there on um, I had intended to cover a couple of these topics for the h1b guy news for the week ending december 17th but unfortunately i just i've been really busy um with my consulting endeavors and i didn't have a chance to get that content together and wanted to just take some time here to do a live stream and, and openly talk about it just sort of um off the cuff uh you know i, I think as we've been following here and 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 getting into um and, and we'll cover that towards the end of, of the stream. But, you know, the, the news that's been breaking around the Build Back Better Act and, and kind of what the time frame looks like on it going forward. Um, but I think as many of you who you know follow and, and keep up with this channel are, are very well aware, um, it looks like nothing is, is going to happen in 2021. And, and we'll get into that a, a little bit more. Um, but I wanted to, to just ask you, you know, if you haven't, uh, go ahead. I, I see, um, Aitha, I see your question in the, in the chat. I'll definitely get to that. Um, if you have any other questions or comments, please fire those away in the chat and, and I'll do a Q and a, um, once I get through some of the, uh, the, the prepared discussion that, that I had for, for today's live stream, uh, hard to believe that we're coming up on the end of another year. Um, uh, trip around the sun, I guess you could say it, it seems like 2021 has, has been a blur from, you know, president Biden's inauguration, um, to, you know, the U S citizenship act of 2021, um, to the H lottery and, and everything that, that transpired around it from, you know, the, the wage-based selection back to random selection, having a historic third lottery, uh, really just a lot of different things that have happened as it relates to H-1Bs, the processing around it, the massive delays being experienced by USCIS. And so I thought it was, was pretty interesting that, 
you know, USCIS came out um, last, I believe it was Wednesday, uh, with their news release that was titled USCIS announces fiscal year 2021 accomplishments. And it starts off by saying that USCIS um, is releasing their preliminary fiscal year 2021 agency statistics and accomplishments, that these preliminary statistics highlight important immigration trends and illustrate the work accomplished by USCIS in fiscal year 2021. The agency will publish final verified fiscal year 2021 statistics in January of 2022. Quote, I'm immensely proud of the USCIS workforce and their achievements in a year of many challenges and rebuilding. From responding to the COVID-19 pandemic and addressing processing delays to enacting numerous operational and policy changes in response to executive orders from the Biden-Harris administration, fiscal year 2021 marks a year of growth and renewed vision for our agency, said USCIS Director Ur M. Jadu. You know, you've heard me talk about this a good bit, that the the cultural um, status and mentality that that had had really shifted at USCIS. A lot of those out there, you know, blame Trump era administration policies. But I would point back to even pre-Trump kind of in the last two years of uh, the Obama administration's policies and the tightening and the processing and everything that was really beginning to change within USCIS, still using very archaic processing, very manual, um, really seemed like if, if you kind of look at, at that trend and, and you can go back to uh, 2014, 15 timeframe, when you really begin to see the issues starting to build as it relates to processing capabilities at USCIS, the increase um, in requests for evidence, the increase in 221Gs being issued. Uh, so uh, again, I, I, I do give the current administration a little bit of leeway. I do give um, the, the, the newly approved um, director uh do a little grace here because they they were really dealt a, a really big mess now with that being said to, to get back to the news release in the upcoming year we continue to serve the public with compassion and reflect america's promise as a nation of welcome possibilities for all as we administer our nation's immigration system as an engine of american strength we will adjudicate re requests with fairness efficiency and integrity um, <laughs> That's kind of the job of USCIS, right? I, I think that goes without saying, but the key is efficiency, right? And I think we look at some of the 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 growing processing backlog and and where that is current to date, and you're seeing historic delays and processing capabilities within USCIS's walls. Moving back to the news release, employment-based adjustments. USCIS faced unprecedented challenge of processing over 237,000 employment-based green card applications. Not only the agency's usual 115,000, but an additional 122,000 immigrant visa numbers that the Department of State was unable to process in fiscal year 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. By the end of fiscal year 2021, USCIS approved over 172,000 
employment-based adjustment of status applications, an increase of 50% above the typical baseline. You know, the, the interesting thing at play here is that historic approvals, right? We're talking about some of the highest approvals of employment-based adjustment of status that, that's ever happened within USCIS. And while they came up dramatically short um, of the allotment and that allotment then became wastage. Um, and so I, I think that the bigger issue at play is that's great that they were able to process a historic high, but unfortunately they weren't able to fulfill all of the number usage. Some of that is on USCIS, and I believe some of that still goes back to um, the Department of State and how they continue to move forward pretty rapidly some of the uh, employment-based categories, including EB3, moved rapidly so forward under the assumption that USCIS was going to be able to process the allotment that was given for fiscal year 2021, and unfortunately, that was never going to be the case. And USCIS continues to use the pandemic as a reason for their processing delays. And here we are with the Omicron now. And I think we're going to continue to see that. Listen, this is our new normal. And USCIS as an organization has an obligation to not have these 9, 10, 18 month backlogs in processing across the various visa statuses, which leads into the news release processing delays across the agency, the volume of pending cases increased as well as the associated processing times. USCIS has made significant strides in addressing processing delays caused by COVID-19 and other factors while responding to new executive orders. USCIS made significant strides in adding processing delays in the following ways, reusing biometrics for 2.5 million applicants since March 2020, reducing the number of pending biometrics appointments from 1.4 million in January 2021 to 155,000 as of the end of September, and fully eliminating the front log of cases awaiting intake processing, which was more than a million receipts in January 2021, and was eliminated in July by expanding staffing and overtime at lockbox facilities. I think that you see how the processing delays ultimately are going to be resolved, and that is through staffing, overtime, and more automation. And while I want to give them some leniency, as I understand we are working and I have been operating in historic times, I think that when we look at what the obligation is of this government entity, it goes back to, to urge to do comment, fairness, efficiency, and integrity. And, and we just have not seen that. We haven't seen it consistent enough over the last 18 to, to 24 months. The agency's transition from paper applications to a fully digital filing and adjudication experience continues to be an important priority for USCIS. Consequently, USCIS continues to expand on our online filing capabilities. You know, this is something I've talked about a good bit. Uh, in all honesty, I, I really felt like we would have potentially by the end of this year, uh, H-1B electronic filing, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. From everything I'm hearing, though, that's still in the works and potentially could be a possibility within the next 12 to 18 months. However, we did see them add new options as it comes to electronic filing. Uh, in the form of in fiscal year 2021, USCIS added two forms for electronic filing, Form I-821, an application for temporary protected status, and the 
Form I-765, Application for Employment Authorization for TPS, uh, applicants seeking employment authorization, as well as F-1 students seeking optional practical training um, under either the C-3A category, which is pre-completion, C-3B, which is post-completion OPT and the most common, and then C-3C, which is that 24-month extension of OPT for STEM. So back at uh, back around this time last year in November and December, there were extensive uh, OPT EAD uh, filing delays, and there were individuals that were risking going out of status because of these delays. This move to the electronic filing, um, you know, has has from what I understood begun to alleviate some of those issues. You know, back to the release, USCIS has continued to expand and enhance self help tools available to applicants online through the agency's contact center, with the goal of providing more efficient, timely service. Through continued outreach and promotion, the number of my USCIS online accounts grew from 6.1 million in fiscal year 2020 to 9 million in fiscal year 2021, a growth rate of 48%. I think that that's a fantastic number. We look at now over 9 million individuals around the world have a my USCIS account, um, moving towards a more automated tracking for the individual. In fiscal year 2021, approximately 1,210,700 applications were filed online, a 2.3 increase from the 1,184,000 filed in fiscal year 2020. I think as we move into this third month of ending the third month of fiscal year 2022, I would really love to see a significant increase in the electronic filings. Uh, but unfortunately, until more offerings uh, in terms of those forms become available, I, I think we'll consistently see these numbers hover somewhere around this uh, 1.2 to 1.5 million in, in terms of applications that, that are filed online. So, again, I, I think some of the interesting things here uh, at play, the downgrade advice that took place, uh, for the longest time, I was I was anti downgrade, and then I was convinced after you know a chats with Charlie session where he called it the best with both worlds uh, to put out a, a video to downgrade or not to downgrade where I advised to do so. Um, now you've got individuals in the process of wanting to upgrade. Um, so I, I think that when we we look at where we are right now in terms of the back and forth jockeying and everything that that's gone into place here. Uh, yes, USCIS does deserve some credit for uh, approving um, and and releasing, if you will, uh, a historic high as it relates to adjustment of status. I mean, we're talking about a historic number, but they were dramatically short based on the allotment. And I think that ultimately is where the issues at play, because when they are short, the repercussion of that is that those those overages, those spillovers are lost and that they're, they're refiled under the family-based category. And so I think that that to me is the thing that's created the stir. And you look at these massive processing delays that have occurred across the categories, all of the EAD delays that have occurred, um, general H4 or general H1B delays that have occurred. I think these things that we look at, how do they go about implementing and upgrading their technology and advancing it to a point to where 
Uh, most of these forms are now filed electronically and require less of a human touch, less of a physical paper printout. Um, hopefully will will lend itself to um, more efficiency and integrity. And, you know, as as the the director of USCIS stated very, very clearly fairness. And so I think that that's what a, a lot of the individuals that, that I know that, that keep up with this platform and, and that are dealing with on a, a daily basis are, are looking for is that whole equality piece. So wanted to just uh, take a minute and ask you again, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we have here today. Um, if you're looking for ways that you can support the H1B Guy platform, um, you can do so through the Super Chat function here on YouTube. Um, if you're watching this at a later date, you can do so through buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B guy. Um, also, as I mentioned earlier, you know, this, this live stream and all of the content produced on the H1B guy platform is proudly brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, as well as perm-ads.com. Ask you to please support our uh our partners here um links on my website in, in terms of um of finding if you qualify for syndesis or path to canada as well as um links to perm-ads.com and their excellent one-stop shop for perm certification recruitment advertising so i wanted to briefly just very briefly talk about the um the visa bulletin from January, and then I'll get into the q and I know there's a lot of Q&A questions about the, the visa bulletin, so I will jump down to those in a little bit. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure. I know a lot of you keep up with this, and I get asked this question a lot. But on Friday, USCIS did confirm, so that's December 17th, USCIS did confirm uh, dates of filing will again be used for the January 2022 visa bulletin. Um, which comes, I think, as, as some really good news for, for you individuals who are July 8th, uh, 2012, and, um, and, and beforehand, uh, as well as in China for EB2, that January 22nd, um, 2019 date. Those were the, the two dates that we did see movement um, in terms of final action. Of course, dates of filing, when you, you go look at you know, January 20, January 8th, 2013 is still the cutoff for dates of filing. So if you did, if you weren't able to get it in in December, it does give you another opportunity to utilize dates of filing uh, for the month of January. Um, I did want to now kind of move into the immigration reform that that has failed based on everything that I'm reading and hearing as of this morning, uh, you know, the thing with the Build Back Better Act and it, that really it kind of goes back to conversations that we had at the beginning of the year um, when we started looking at this whole idea and concept of comprehensive immigration reform, uh, the first hundred days, like a day one uh, from from the Biden administration to day one, the U.S. Citizenship Act that Senator Menendez from New Jersey um, so proudly uh, championed, you know, unfortunately that, that was a very large comprehensive immigration reform, um, intended to, to be an all encompassing piece of legislation. We haven't heard very much from it. Um, 
later on we did see the Eagle Act that was was sponsored and and put out. Of course, we haven't seen very much traction um, from it either, and that that leads to what happened with the Build Back Better Act. And we look at how there were several different attempts to do comprehensive immigration reform um, under the one point. $7 trillion build back better. Um, but ultimately I, I felt like that while you have to take every opportunity you can get to have reform, positive reform, that's going to impact not only the lives of individuals that are stuck in the backlog, but also the U S economy as a whole. When, when you look at what the build back better intent was, um, it didn't feel like those two things aligned appropriately uh, from the the political point of view. I'm not saying it doesn't make common sense, but I think when you look at, well, why did it fail, right? It, it goes back to um, money. There's a lot of money involved in when we talk about immigration reform and who's going to benefit and how. And I think that ultimately I've been saying this for months now and, and I've been called negative because of it. But I think for those of you that, uh, that, that have followed me for any amount of time here, know that just giving you my honest opinion. And I think that's why you keep coming back for content like this is to hear my honest opinion on this. And it did not feel like to me um, that comprehensive immigration reform, meaning um, a swoop at changing multiple pieces of the INA um, through the Build Back Better was going to be something that was going to be be possible. And so I think that what really stinks is here we are again, very similar to how events transpired under uh, S-386, the Fairness for High-Skilled Immigrants Act, how it was approved under unanimous consent. Um, at the beginning of December, but then never called back to a vote on the House floor. This time we have the opposite where the House has voted and approved the Build Back Better, but in the Senate piece, um, as it as it's gone through committee, it's been where there's been hangups. So you look at what, what that feels like, again, just another letdown for high-skilled immigrants right at the end of the year. It still sounds like there's a possibility for the Build Back Better to, to come back around at some point in January. Um, but the interesting play here is, is who and how they've gone about killing this thing. And you look at some of the senior Democratic leadership and those that are involved in the Judiciary Committee and those that aren't, and how through all of that, um, you basically have had the Democratic Party um, kind of turn their backs on on the current administration as it relates to this Build Back Better initiative. And I think when you look at leading into next year, which is a midterm election year, you look at what happened this past November um, as it relates to, to to some of the movement and and some of the the, the changes in positioning. Uh, the midterm election year is going to be very interesting. And I think it'll be interesting to see how the, the, the shift occurs. I also believe that because it is a midterm election year, if for some reason immigration reform does not happen as part of the Build Back Better, if that is 
going to be an op- option at all in January, I-, I think you'll be looking at a whole nother year. And I know that that's not what a lot of you want to hear, but I think you'll be looking at a whole nother year um, where not a whole lot happens as it relates to, to em- immigration reform as a whole. I still believe, though, and, and this is, you know, just just me kind of talking out loud here. I still believe that smaller pieces of legislation um, have a possibility uh, of, of getting through next year. Um, standalone reforms such as the America's Children Act um, or even the Eagle Act, I think, have a, a higher likelihood of passing across both chambers and being signed into law than, than this comprehensive immigration reform approach that, that we see. Uh, but personally, to me, again, it, it just feels like we're going to be looking into 2022, which is a whole nother year plus away um, until a broader scale of immigration reform addressing the green card backlog and even reform around the H-1B visa um, will come into fruition. We'll continue to track that. But, you know, again, if if you want my just personal opinion on it right now, I think that you, you've seen a good amount of bipartisan support for bills like America's Children Act. Um, can we see something similar um, as it relates to a, a bill like the Eagle Act or, or something else and, and lo- along those lines? And what's the time frame on pushing those through? And, and when would we, we see them actually be signed into law? Now, I think we're still a good ways away from, from a lot of that happening. So um, just wanted to, to, again, ask you if you have questions or comments, please drop those in the chat. I see we've got five or six right now. I'll definitely be getting to those in, in probably the next uh, next few minutes here. Um, I had a couple of other uh, news, little uh, little news items that I did want to highlight. Um, you know, the documented dreamers who also lost out uh, as part of this, not just the green card backlog community, but the documented dreamers community, those individuals who age out um, once they turn 21. Um, they had a lot of good coverage last week. And uh, I wanted to just kind of briefly highlight some of that coverage last week. And, and then I'll jump into the Q&A. Um, back at the middle of, of last week, Teen Vogue came out with their 21 under 21 for 2021, uh, the young people shaping tomorrow and for number 14 on that list was Perrine Matre, um, titled the dreamer defender. Of course, I've called Perrine the face of the improve the dream movement and documented dreamers as a whole. Um, the article says, not every 21-year-old can appear, appear before Congress, but in April, Perrine Matre testified uh, before the House Judiciary Subcommittee about what it's like to spend your entire life in a country that you may be forced to leave behind. Then she learned about Improve the Dream, a youth-led advocacy organization that advocates for children and long-term visa holders. Joining that group gave Perrine a sense of community and inspired her to advocate for comprehensive immigration reform. That's how she ended up testifying before the House. Again, you know, the, the sad part about the comprehensive immigration reform piece, you know, you, you, you beginning to see why that, you know, was more of a hope than it is a, a strategy. Uh, I think a smaller standalone like the America's Children's Act has a higher probability. Um, later, actually, the next day on February or excuse me, 
December 15th, 2021, um, in a local opinion piece written by Palami Sony for the Arizona Daily Star that was titled, My Parents Followed All the Rules. Now I could be forced to self-deport at 21. It highlights the arrival of first semester finals as a stressful time for any college students, and especially true if you're pre-med, when every exam feels like it will make or break your future. But in my case, it does. My grades don't determine whether I get into medical school. They determine whether I get to stay in the United States. My immigration story is shocking to a lot of people because my parents did everything to avoid this situation. They're both software engineers who were hired by Arizona firms. So shortly after we moved here, when I was six years old, they filed for permanent residency for them and me and my sister. My parents can continue to renew their skilled workers, but I age out with my current visa when I turn 21. At that point, I have to self-deport. I'm a 19-year-old sophomore at the University of Arizona, and I can't stop worrying about my 21st birthday. We had um, Palami on. She was highlighted during the Documented Dreamers series introduction, as well as the first Documented Dreamers series live. Palami does a lot of behind-the-scenes work for Improve the Dream, including helping manage a lot of their, their various social media channels. She's just a super sharp individual. I've had the opportunity, and some of you um, uh, have, have maybe seen her her, her father, uh, Vivek, has also been on the H-1B guy um, back when I was doing the H-1B guy and friends um, and talking about, uh, you know, some of the, the the latest issues of the month. Very proud to see her speaking up and uh, and publishing this local opinion piece. Um, and then also on December 16th by Ion Siddiqui uh, for the Arizona Mirror titled, I came here legally when I was two. Immigration backlogs are keeping me from the American dream. Ion says, this month, I'm submitting my undergraduate application to Honors College at Arizona State. That's where I hope to study political science and eventually become a constitutional lawyer. But instead of dreaming about my future, I couldn't be more stressed out. In a few short years, I'll be forced to leave Phoenix, where I've lived legally since the age of two. The problem is the exasperating green card backlog my family has been in since 2013. Even though my dad, who works in the tech industry on a temporary worker visa, applied for our family to become a permanent resident nearly a decade ago, my dad's depend as my dad's dependent, I'm only legal here until I turn 21. At that point, I age out of the system and will have to self-deport to a country where I don't even speak the language. So again, why do I continue to talk about the documented dreamers? Well, it's something very personal to me, as you you know, and, and I've had them on many times. I've defended um, Deep Patel, the leader of Improve the Dream. But look at these stories, Perrine, Palami, Ion. And what is the common denominator here? Tech, H1B. And so the thing that I want to stress to all of you is that this is a cause and effect. And if you are an individual outside of the U.S. considering coming to the U.S. and you have children that you would be your dependents and you're considering bringing here, know that right now there is no protections for them after they turn 21. And a lot of times when I talk to individuals like Vivek, um, individuals like Sam Matre, they, they came here and they didn't know that this was going to affect their children the way that they did. And as we've covered many times on the Documented Dreamer series live, the, these these kids, as I call them, 
Many were brought here months and, and only a couple of years old and have grown up their entire life here. They are U.S. educated. And the dread of their 21st birthday is something that's very real and been a consistent theme. Of course, the Documented Dreamers info has been picked up a lot by the mainstream media. But again, you know, very rarely am I going to cover something from Teen Vogue, but very excited. And congratulations to Perrine for being recognized for her efforts. I'm very proud of Palami for that local opinion and nice to see um, Ion as well, you know, speaking out on on the cause. I am hopeful that the America's Children Act has a high probability going into next year to be a standalone as it does have the bipartisan support. And honestly, when you look at it from a legislative standpoint, to me, it's common sense. Common sense that these are U.S. educated, U.S. grown, and many of which are constitutional lawyer, um, medical, tech, you name it. We're talking about the, the next generation of workforce when you look at all the numbers and we're not graduating enough. We're not graduating enough STEM to keep up with the demand and the job openings that are out there. So. Just wanted to ask you again, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we have here this afternoon. Um, if you're looking for ways to support the H1B Guy platform, you can do so through the super chat function here on YouTube. Uh, you can also do so if you're watching in advance on buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B Guy. Any contributions that are made via those two avenues are uh, invested back into the H1B Guy platform here. You may have noticed um, I'm supposed to be streaming on 1080p, but from what I can tell, I, I don't know if my internet bandwidth is not allowing it to happen or not today. Um, but I did upgrade the version of Restream that I've, I've been using. Um, so hopefully the, the stream clarity and quality is a little better. If you have questions, I've got a bunch here in the chat. I definitely want to roll through them. If you're just joining us, go ahead and, and post those questions and comments to give a quick rundown of, of what I've covered so far. You know, I've talked about USCIS and their list of accomplishments in 2021. Um, USCIS also mentioned dates of filing are going to be allowed for the January visa bulletin. Uh, talked about how immigration reform as a whole has failed for 2021. Um, and what the possibility of it going forward in 2022 looks like. And also just a brief mention on some of the folks with Improve the Dream and the, the, the media coverage that, that they continue to get and how important it is um, for a bipartisan um, legislation, le legislation like the America's Children's Act being kind of a smaller standalone and the, and the possibilities that, that that goes for protections. All right, so let's jump into these Q&As, and as I go through, if you have other questions, let me know. Okay, so Aitha asks, when are you expecting EB2 date movement again for India? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think this is, I still think EB2 final action for India will move again in February. Uh, again, we go back to what happened for the January dates, and you had 68 days of forward movement. Um, I expected it to be closer to 90, 
but what this tells me, and when you start to look at a January 8th, or excuse me, a July 8th, 2012 final action date, that tells me that the numbers ahead of it. So like, let's say July 22nd, 2012, or August 1st, 2012, there's probably a fair amount. And if we were to go back and look at the I-140 approvals and some of the, the backtracking there and, and that data, you would begin to see why the July 8th, 2012 cutoff date occurred. It's all about the numbers and what's in advance from a, a documentarily qualified DQ perspective. So do I expect movement to happen? I do. Do I expect it to be significant movement? I don't. I, I think that at max, the benchmark has been set at 60 days. So if we come in next month and we look at an August 1st or a September 1st, um, you're right in that 60-day window. So I don't think in terms of EB2 final action for February, you'll see anything above um, an, an, a September 1st, really, uh, movement. That's just my 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 two cents on where things stand right now. Uh, but I think, yeah, I do think you're going to see movement. I think you'll see incremental movement. Um, I think you're going to continue to see incremental movement in the EB2 category. Um, and then you're going to see a little bit of a stall that probably will happen March, April, and then maybe a regrouping and a, a pickup again in EB2 specifically. So uh, thanks, Aitha. Nice to have you join me today. Really appreciate uh, you jumping in here. Hey, Manoj, how are you? Um, what do I think about priority date for EB2? Yeah, again, just kind of covered that similar question to um, Aitha. And, and that is if I look at, okay, 60 days is now the benchmark. July 8th, 2012 tells me there's a lot of numbers in line ahead of that. Um, so it could to me, when I'm looking at it, probably looking at a middle of the month date again. Uh, but I would say I'm expecting it to be anywhere between August 1st to September 1st. So your priority date, Minaj, is November 3rd, uh, 2013 and EB2 India. I actually had this come up um, kind of similar uh, through a question on one of my videos on YouTube. And, you know, I, as I look at, as I look at kind of the bigger landscape of, of where you're at, and if you're talking about dates of filing, right, um, you know, that's, that's going to be a lot different to me than, than final action. Okay. I, I think November, 2013 for dates of filing, right. As, as you mentioned here, um, the question becomes, when does that move again? And I, I think in terms of getting to where you are, it's really fluid right now. Um, I feel like it's probably going to be March or April, maybe even May. Um, but you could see a small incremental adjustment. Um, but if we see stall, meaning no movement, over the next couple of months, so that'd be February, March, even April. If you don't see much movement there, um, that's when I think then you'll see the jump. Because remember what dates of filing are, that is 6 to 12 months in advance of when they expect final action to become current, right? 
And so as we look at kind of where you stand right now, you're July, August, September, October, November. I mean, you're you're four months ish away, um, depending on where you fall in that November cutoff. So you're right there on the door, Minaj, for dates of filing. Unfortunately, I think January is probably going to be the last month the dates of filing will be allowed for the rest of the fiscal year. But the good news is you'll be able to get documentarily qualified. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful for you. I'm hopeful for you that we do see some of that movement. It does begin to happen um, starting in, in March or April. So to, to pin me down, I'd say by April, your dates of filing would be current. I know that sounds crazy. And that's like, um, you know, four months from January. But I don't expect much movement to happen in February or March. So if it does, April or May seems like in line with, with what you can expect. Hey, sweet seller, how are you? Thanks for joining me again today. Um, based on Charlie's statement about reassessing the upgrades in April, would there be an EB2 retrogression in April? Downgrades took almost a year to reflect on Visa Bulletin from Charlie's statements. They appear to count upgrades right away. Why is this discrepancy? My guess is because the upgrade, um, uh, the the upgrade, if it was a downgrade to to an upgrade, um, you know, I don't know. My, my guess is that the way the numbers are counted from an a, approval processing, internal approval processing is they, they most likely are within um, a different division uh, of USCIS in terms of, of the certifying officers. Um, but, but I don't know specifically why they're, they're counted immediately. But to go back to, um, you know, reassessing the upgrades in April, uh, that'll be interesting as it relates to Minoja's question, right? And we start to look at, uh, you know, if November 2013 occurs in April or May. I believe that we're still going to see a spike again in that second, third quarter, meaning some forward movement that then potentially could could impact be impacted from the stall that most likely is going to occur over the next couple of months. Um, but from everything I'm also hearing, and as I start to look at the calculations, how many thousands do we think we're talking about in terms of this upgrade and downgrade? Right. And what's the impact on that number? If you go back and look at where EB3 was, it, there was more demand than there was supply, whereas in EB2, that wasn't the case. So that in and of itself is what initiates and entices the the upgrade. Um, but in terms of the way it's counted, I'm not exactly sure why there is a discrepancy other than to think that that they're processed in, in, in different areas within USCIS. What is the new date for H-1B filing in coming year? Please, guide. Thank you. Okay, um, Manaj Kumar, I've been on record as saying the H-1B lottery um, for fiscal year 2023, I still believe, and, and again, this is unless anyone has any other data out there that, that may be different, um, I still believe you're looking at a March 7th which is if we look at the calendar and where that breaks down, it is, I believe, the first Monday in March. Um, give me one second and I will pull that up.
Yeah. So Tuesday, March, it, March 1st is a Tuesday. So that's where I go back to Monday, March 7th, probably noon will be the electronic filing portal will open. My guess is that it would be open the 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, um, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, even maybe through the 25th, which is that Friday. And then the cutoff would be the 25th. And then that no applicants would be notified by the 25th if they were selected um, with the portal for paper, still paper, uh, a paper petition to be filed on Friday, April the 1st. So again, I still believe March 7th um, at noon for the electronic submission for the HCAP lottery for fiscal year 2023. Hey, Lima, how are you? EB2, July 2017. How many years do I need to wait? Yeah, um, you've got a while. I would say you're probably right now, if, if we're just looking at final action, um, I, I still am estimating somewhere around 4,000 days to be accurate. Um, so again, if you are July, let's say July 1st, July 1st of 2017. That would put you somewhere around December 1st of 2027. That's 3,800 days, and that's been kind of my baseline calculation. So if you're July 1st, 2017, as of right now, I think you're looking at December 1st of 2027. That's pretty brutal. Hey, Mateo, how are you? Thanks for joining me today. Are you expecting the H-1B cap to rise for 2023? No, I do not. Not at this time. Um, that was a little bit of the H-1B reform uh, that I alluded to earlier. Um, I, I am hearing rumblings that there is going to be a fair amount of pressure that's going to be put on um, over the next year or so to increase um, the advanced degree category to basically equal um, the international degree category. So, you know, talking about going from... Uh, 20,000 uh, to potentially 65,000. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see if, if that does happen sometime in the next year or two, kind of per your question. Um, but I don't expect for next year's uh, cap for fiscal year 2023 for there to be an increase. I still expect it to be uh, 65,000 for international and 20,000 for advanced degrees. Sweet seller, when Charlie talked about upgrades to EB2 in his final chats, did he mean interfiling and filing second AOS as the means of upgrade? Are there any others he was referring to? I think they were in, in, in the interfiling, right? Where you basically had the 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 upgrade um, in conjunction with the, the EB3. 
Um, that would be at, at the I-140 phase, right? Um, so I, I think that, that to me, he was referring to that inner, inner filing or even having an, an updated second AOS, I think, as, as you refer to here. I think those terms can be interchangeable if it's with the same employer. If you're with a different employer, though, I think that that's where, as I, I, I look through it and remember, um, that's where you most likely are going to have the second the second AOS if, if you're looking at a, an upgrade in general. Um, but yeah, the upgrade, right? If you think about what what does an upgrade versus a downgrade mean, you know, ultimately um, it's, it's fees, right? It's, it's, it's legal fees, it's filing fees. So they've created this whole wave of fee influx, right? The amount of downgrades that happen and now the amount of upgrades that happen. So in an entity like USCIS, right, which is a fee-based organization, um, which has their primarily revenue generator is premium processing, I-140s can be upgraded to premium processing. There's an immediate and instant injection in revenue source for USCIS. So I think that this jockeying, this back and forth that's occurred with the Department of State and with USCIS, as you look at the bigger picture, and what that means, you know, I, I go back to a lot of uh, a lot of Charlie's insight was extremely valuable, but his biggest error was the calculation or miscalculation and assuming that USCIS could process the numbers given for last year. And with the rapid advancement that he did in the visa bulletin, when you go back and look at the overall numbers um, in April, May, June, July, and, and that that crazy advancement that we happened and an effort, as we were told, to maximize. And so what all of that has done is created the downgrades in October of last year, uh, 2020, excuse me, in October of 2020, the, the massive amount of downgrades that started then. And then when you go back and start looking at the comments from Charlie that started in June, July, August, that started looming to a slowdown, an individual saying, oh, maybe I should start considering it an upgrade because EB3 is going to retrogress significantly and I'm going to be in that two-year window gap and I'm going to be caught. So great question. There just is so much going on. It's so fluid right now. Um, it's, it's really hard to, to keep up with and keep it all straight. Um, but yeah, it's it, there definitely is a lot going on as it relates to the fluidity of the Visa Bulls. And I will tell you, um, not having Charlie uh, in his monthly chats um, is, from my perspective, a disservice to those immigrants that are that are sitting in the employment-based backlog um, because it, it doesn't create the, the, the open line of communication. Uh, so I'm hopeful that we'll see something within the Department of State return, um, you know, in, in 2023 or excuse me, 2022. Hey, Samir, thank you so much for the super chat, my friend, just a friend of the platform and a, a personal friend to me. Um, you know, it is deja vu from last year. Um, and I hate to hear that today's the last day for your wife on a job on her H4 EAD as, as USCS is not given an extension. And the EAD was filed six months ago. Um, I, I thought, though, that there was something going on with 
the the lawsuit though that was going to allow for this maybe it was those filed after um i'll have to look into that samir and, and if i can help you out I'll, I'll i'll send over some information if if i can find it but thank you so much for your continued support i really appreciate it um Similar to the above, can an employer file your H-1B with a conditional, uh, conditional job offer if you get it? Uh, this happens all the time, Mateo. Uh, great question. It, it happens all the time. Um, the biggest thing is that they have to be able to do the advertising and the recruitment on the H-1B. Um, so if it's a conditional, then ultimately once you're selected, then they would do that after the fact. And that's what's led to the significant reduction in um, overall uh, applicant responses. Uh, so first lottery was like 70%. Second lottery was just above 40%. So what is happening is that, you know, you had 308,000 uh, individual names put in the electronic selection. They're selected. And then the employer um, who has a conditional job isn't able to get the recruitment and advertising done or doesn't, the, the conditional job is, is no longer available. So yes, it is possible, but understand that the biggest thing for you is that the employer's actually committed um, to going through with the recruitment and advertising for the H-1B job uh, so that when and if you are selected, they can very quickly uh, in a, 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 a very quick manner rep reply, respond and apply um, from a paper standpoint, assuming that that's still going to be the process as we go into the HCAP for 2023. Samir says, it's just a mess for Indians. My wife is not just losing her job today, but has not been able to travel back to see her mom to the fear of not being able to get a stamp and come back. Yeah, this is the impact, right? Um, it, it isn't just about the processing delays. It's about the consulate appointments the ability to get an appointment, get a stamp and get back into the country, especially if you've got an, a, you know, expired I-94. Um, this is the fear that that you know, internationals and specifically Indians have been living with. If we go back to March 13th or 15th of, of 2020. I missed answering the question whether there will be retrogression in April. I did hit on it. I, I don't think there will be an April. Um, sweet seller, I, I think that they will probably look at those calculations and it kind of goes back to my answer on, um, uh, Minaj, uh, Kansara's question about his priority date of no November 13th, uh, November, 2013 and EB2 for, for dates of filing. Uh, I think that he's probably looking at April or May for that November, 2013 for dates of filing. Um, but. I, I guess that kind of indirectly answers your question on retrogression in April. Um, I, I do expect February and March to be pretty flat to have a stall, except for India EB2, um, final action and China EB2. I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of movement outside of that, which makes my you know forecast predictions for the February 2022 bulletin, I'm not going to say easy, but but fairly basic, right? When if we haven't seen any movement in EB3 now for a couple of months, same for EB4, which if you start to look at what does that mean? Well, it just means that the numbers are there, right? This is kind of that post-COVID visa bulletin era now that, that we're dealing with. Um, but 
if if retrogression does happen in April, specifically in EB2, what would that mean? Would it be as extensive as we saw for the EB3s for India and China? I don't think you'd see that much of a jump back. But if we look at, okay, is retrogression a possibility towards the end of the fiscal year? And what would that look like? If it as it relates to dates of filing, would we see EB2 jump back to that a 2012 date as if EB3 doesn't move? And uh, you know, I, I think that's that's a possibility. Um, I, I hope that the retrogression that um you know was alluded to has already occurred and that everything else will remain relatively flat or stall without retrogression. So as of right now, I don't believe so. Uh, but again, February, March will be very telling in that. And of, of course, very fluid. Things can happen very quickly. Um, but, you know, appreciate your, your questions. And uh, I hope I was able to answer them. Hey, Lima, how are you? Need to wait long, but how about filing date for July 2017 EB2? Yeah, this is, I actually just answered this question uh, similarly. Um, I'm still calculating that to be around 3,800 days. So based on my calculations from July 1st, 2017 to December 1st, 2027, that's 3,805 days exactly, Lima. Um, so I, I think <laughs> when... When you look at that, it it almost it almost doesn't seem real. That 30, 3805 days from your your priority date for EB2 is December 1st, 2027. And and this isn't meant to be negative. I I, I think I still am a proponent and believe in what the h1b visa offers to individuals like you which is an opportunity but it's an opportunity that comes with a lot of hooks and a lot of fangs and a lot of caveats and that is even though the pursuit of green card sponsorship is so important and so critical to high skilled immigrants from all over the world those immigrants from india are treated very differently and even those from china to a certain extent when you look at a standing line of 3,805 days for you is, is more than 10 years. It's more than 10 years. Um, you see a lot of the, the calculations that talk about 150 years. And what that means is the calculation of the growth occurs and the lack of processing occurs. And to me, it comes back to a green card recapture, um, a, a first come first serve as it relates to clearing the backlog, a 10 year plan to do that and how important that is. But there's a lot of individuals like you, Lima, that are just looking to get to, you know, a, an employment authorization document with advanced parole, which gives you freedom. And so, you know, I'm a proponent of that. Like, how, how long do you have to wait in line before an EAD with AP is a, a possibility where you have freedom of travel, freedom of employment, freedom to choose how much you make, 
right? Those are just sort of standard freedoms that that we have here um, as as U.S. citizens that high skilled immigrants that come here on a work visa don't have. So, um, I've got time for another question or two. As we begin to wrap up, we're coming up here on an hour. I want to be cognizant of everyone's time. Um, hopefully the stream is held up. I saw that it looks like it's only, I've only video frozen once or twice. Um, I just, I wanted to say thank you to all of you who have joined me here today. Thanks to Samir for the super chat, man. I just so humbled and appreciative of your support. Uh, if you're looking for ways to support the H1B Guy platform, again, just a quick reminder, you can do so through the super chat function here on YouTube. You can also do so through just liking and subscribing to the H1B Guy channel, um, liking my podcast, um, commenting or giving me that five star rating on your preferred podcast platform. Um, I believe I'm on six or seven podcasts, most of which is a repeat of what we do here on the live stream on YouTube. Uh, but if you want to just grab it in an audio only format, you can do that there. Um, the H1Bguy.com. If you know anyone that that needs help, that, that needs a non-biased third party opinion of their situation uh, from an employer's perspective, um, you can book an appointment directly with me via the H1Bguy.com. Um, of course, you know, these these streams, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, are live. Uh, but if you're watching them at an advanced date, you know, please feel free to drop me a comment uh, and let me know what you think. If you agree or disagree with uh, with some of my my answers or some, some of my advice here today, um, I am not an attorney. I'm an employment and work authorization expert as it relates to talent acquisition I have a background of 18 years of high-tech, high-skilled IT recruiting. I've built global teams for multiple large staffing firms, um, and I've built an immigration program that helped high-skilled immigrants um, come into the U.S. to pursue those dreams. Hey, Anata, how are you? Do I think removing country cap will help? Actually, I feel like it makes things worse. The best idea will be to treat all is the same, but make the process fast and efficient. I have been a proponent of removing the country caps because I think that 7% is the root cause of all of the issue. But a lot of folks say if we're going to do you need to do one or the other, remove country caps as it relates to green card employment based preferences or put country caps on H-1B visas, um, which I'm not a proponent of. Why? Because 70% 80% of H-1B visas come from India. The other 10 or so percent come from China with another 10% from around the world. But I do think that removing country caps for employment-based preferences will actually solve a lot of the issues that were, were happening. And to me, it's a directly discriminatory to you based on your country of birth. And so I, I believe that to me, that is the root cause. That is the first issue that needs to be addressed. But second issue, if we're talking about removing country caps as the first issue, clearing the green card backlog right now for the 1.2, 1.3 million that are sitting in that backlog that are looking at 3,805 days or more wait is to me the next thing that needs to happen. But great question, um, Anata. Thank you for joining me here this afternoon. Hey, Ajith, how are you? Um, do you know what priority dates are getting processed by NBC these days? Or do you know when someone can expect uh, 
except green expect green card for January end of 2012. Um, yeah, these 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 have been really crazy. It's been all over the map, Ajith. Um, you meant January end of January 2012 priority date. Your I-45 was filed in October 2021, uh, first week. Okay, so the old rule was nine months. The new rule with the COVID processing as part of it now, um, to me, has moved it to 12 to 16 months. But you could receive your EAD AP sometime in the next, uh, let's see, October, maybe by February or March. So um, great question, though. Um, keep me posted. I'm really curious to hear your timeline. Congrats on filing your adjustment of status and know now that you're in the queue and hopefully sometime um, in the next year, you'll, you'll have your green card. Um, but I wanted to just take a moment and thank all of you who are still watching this live stream. I, I can't do this without your support. Um, this last year has been just an absolute ride and all of the crazy things that have happened along the way. Um, but I'm, I'm very thankful for you, not only my new followers, my new subscribers, my new listeners, but to some of you who have been with me since day one. And they're here on this channel. I get it. Uh, you know, I'm... <laughs> I, I am who I am, which is I speak my mind. I come at this from a staffing perspective. I approach this from an employment authorization perspective. Um, but the fact is this channel's coming up on almost 200,000 views for, uh, for 2021, a little bit shy of that. And almost, almost 600,000 minutes watched. While that may seem like a very small thing to a lot of those large YouTubers out there um, and to those other platforms who talk about immigration, I appreciate your loyalty to me and to this platform. And I promise you all, I'm going to continue to voice my opinion. I'll continue to advocate for what I think is right, which is removing 7% quota on country caps, clearing the green card backlog, resolving the issues as it relates to the documented dreamers and protections for aging out, electronic filing capabilities, increased processing capabilities, open lines of communication from USCIS directly to you, the high-skilled immigrant. And last question, uh, Thiaga, do you think there's a chance for October two, 2013 to be current in EB2 or EB3 this fiscal year, or at least next? Well, I, I mean, if you're looking at dates of filing, you're right in that line. And as I talked about earlier, November 2013, I think April or um, May. So I think you're right there, uh, Thiaga. I think you're right there in that April or May as a possibility for EB2 for October 2013. Uh, we'll definitely be tracking it. We'll see what happens over the next uh, couple months with the February and March. But yeah, I, I think there is a possibility for you. The only concern is uh, to Sweet Seller's question earlier, um, which is if retrogression happens in April, does it go back to 2012 
um, to, to align more appropriately with where the EB3 dates are. Um, but I think you could be right in line. The, the question would be, is it going to be a date of filing or is it going to be a final action? Uh, but I would be prepared. I'd be prepared uh, sometime this this coming up spring of, of 2022 uh, for your, your date to possibly be current in EB2 and uh, dates of filing specifically. So again, I, I just, you know, for those of you out there, I want to want to thank you, um, wishing you a Merry Christmas, a happy holidays. You're five days away here in the U.S. from celebrating Christmas Day. Um, look for a news video from me by the end of the week. Um, and then next week, I'm going to do a, the plan is to, to do a follow-up to my seven predictions for immigration in 2021 and do another follow-up on that. I may do it as a live stream. I may do it as a standalone edited video. I haven't worked that out yet. Um, but if there's any content you want to see me produce going into 2022, please feel free to message me directly. I definitely am all ears. I want to make sure that I'm talking about things that you are interested in me covering um, and, and hearing my take and opinion on. Again, I can't do this without you. I uh, just wanted to remind everyone that today's live stream was brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Path to Canada and Syndesis are your answers. They will gladly help you navigate the process. And if you're interested in finding out more, please be sure to use the link in the video description below. And also by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you're looking to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor uh, certification recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. From the bottom of my heart, I cannot thank you enough if you're still with me for watching this live stream here today, or if you've made it this far in advance, thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to my video. I really, really, really just appreciate your support. Uh, if I can help you, let me know. I'm Robert. I'm the H1B guy. And from my family to yours, wishing you a happy holidays and a happy new year. The H-1B Guy, your global source for all things H-1B.